I will echo uh, what Sergio said. If you attend one of the Spanish-speaking services at um, the Bloomington campus, you will be invited to stay behind for an amazing lunch. So uh, take advantage of that if you ever want to, if you're ever up there. And when they say, please stay, stay. It is, um, it's great. And I want to have you guys do something we don't do often here because a lot of people find this extremely awkward and uncomfortable. Heads up, you might find this extremely awkward and uncomfortable, but I'm going to ask us to do it anyway. I'm going to ask you to stand up in just a moment and introduce yourself to someone that you don't know. Now, here's what happened at the first service. People did that, and they introduced themselves, and then after the service, a couple came up and said, now, we've already failed because we were introduced to this lovely couple, and almost immediately, we forgot what their names were. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? It happens to me all the time. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Introduce yourself, and they're going to introduce you. And when they introduce you, they're going to give you their name, and I want you to use their name twice in the conversation that you're going to have with them. I want you guys to talk about um, your Thanksgiving plans. That's what you're going to do. I'm going to give you one minute. So you don't have to canvas the whole room. Find one person that you don't know and ask them about their Thanksgiving plans. Find out their name and use it twice, at least twice in the conversation. Okay? Are you ready? Get on your feet and let's do this. <clears throat> Okay, your time is up. It's been up for a little bit, but I just wanted to see how long you would go. And you will go long enough. Um, okay, uh-huh, great job. Good job, everyone. Okay, now turn to the person you're seated next to and say, their name was, their name was. So you've at least got someone else who will help you remember their name. <laughs> Today we're talking about connection. For some of you, that moment was way too long. And for some of you, it's like, oh, we need about 15 more minutes and we can wrap up our Thanksgiving plans. Connections matter. I got a call last Saturday morning from some friends of mine 
from England. Their name is Yakus and Dalian De Beer. Here's a picture of them. A picture I took, I think it was the last time I was there. Um, that's uh, Yakus uh, over here with the phone. Dalian, her name is short for Magdaliana, which is Mary Magdalene. So Magdalene, it's a shortened ver version of Magdalene. And that's their dog. Horrible dog. But you did not hear me say that. <laughs> That dog loves me. Um, now, they probably don't want this picture shown, but here's a better one. We were all dressed up and cleaned up and ready for work, and so we went to a coffee shop, and here's this picture here. Everyone's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. We look a little bit better. Yakus and Dalian De Beer, they're from South Africa originally. They ended up in Reno, Nevada, came to our church, and I invited them to lunch after church to my house. They became part of our life group. Now, I don't remember much about that first meeting, except that I spent a lot of time trying to remember their names and how to pronounce their names. So I don't know if you guys got a name this morning that you're like, okay, I got to remember it and how to pronounce it because it's a different pronunciation. I took a lot of time trying to remember how to pronounce their names, but um, the other thing that helps to remember is the fact that after dinner, everyone was pitching in and cleaning up, and Dalian cut her hand open washing dishes in my sink, and she had to be rushed to the uh, emergency room to get that sewn up. And so my thinking honestly was, well, I'll never have to use those names again because that was a traumatic experience, and she'll never show up. But Thursday night, time for a small group to start, and I hear a knock on the door, and it's a gauze-wrapped hand, and her and her husband are there. They said, we want to be part of this small group. They became faithful members, not just of our small group, but they became faithful friends. I try to see them once a year at least. Many of you have heard me talk about the season of my life in Reno, Nevada, and, and it was a stressful, trying, traumatic experience. But at every point, these friends of mine, Yakus and Dalian, were there to encourage me and walk with me through those difficult days. They were more than just friends. They became my people. You guys ever, you guys have people? Like, these are my people. My people. We're in a series looking at the church and how God uses it to accomplish his divine plan for the world. And today we're going to look about we're going to look at the power of connection, finding your people. My prayer is that you will see the value of connection in the church. And this is why church matters. Let's pray. Father, we've said it once, we've said it a lot. The church is your plan, it's your design. And so we pray that, that our preferences would be aligned with your plan and that our desires would be aligned with your design. Together, Lord... Together, we want to grow up to be the church that you've called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I think about the picture of the church, that is sort of the model, for me at least, as to how the church should operate and function, there's a scripture that comes immediately to mind. And it's found in the second chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. Here, Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, gives us this picture of what happened among the people who were part of 
the church. Now, again, remember, the church is not the building that we meet in. The church is the people who meet inside a building. The building could be anything. It could be a barn. It could be a house. It could be a, a restaurant. It could be under a tree. It could be anywhere. The church is the people that meet there. And so here's what it looked like when the people, the church, gathered. Here's what happened. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's this beautiful, beautiful picture of what a deep, real community looks like. It describes what connection and community looked like with those early believers. The church began with the concept of it being a community. There's no surprise there because the church is God's design and God himself is part of a community. Have you ever thought about this? God exists in community. He exists as Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And that community creates other communities. We see it first with Adam. God, God created Adam to be part of this community. We see it there in the garden where God comes down and spends time with Adam there in the garden. And God says, that's not even enough. I want more community for Adam. And so, so God provides him a wife, a spouse. And they create a little community there as well. This, the backdrop of this is this idea that God iterates very early on. It is not good for man to be alone. And while we often think about that of that in terms of like a man and a wife, the truth is that that we Humans are designed to be with others. The child raised by wolves is an aberration, not an aspiration. <laughs> we are designed to be raised and loved and cared for by other humans. God designed you for community. God is a community builder. Sadly... I think you would recognize, we live in a time where community is really hard to find for some reason. Despite the fact that 3.5 billion people are connected to the internet, that there are 400 million daily active users, active users of Instagram, despite the fact that over 2 billion people use Facebook every month, still, Despite the fact that with a swipe of the screen, we can be connected to, to people all over the globe, still, <laughs> still, we are lonely. According to a survey of more than 2,000 Americans, 
almost three quarters, 72% of them experience loneliness. Even though we're more connected than ever before, we're also feeling more lonely, isolated, and disconnected. If you want to say amen under your breath, you can. We're lonely people. That's not how God designed us to be. You say, Tim, here's the problem. You you don't know my background. You don't know my stories. Honestly, I find it really easier in this stage of my life just to avoid all the relationship stuff. It's just drama and it's messy and it's like, I, I, I I don't need it in my life. I tell you, I get it. I absolutely get it. Connecting is hard. Connecting means you can't hide from people. They know if you don't show up. And it requires engagement. Have you noticed that when people come into your life, they sort of drag you into their life a little bit, and you're like, oh, hold on, I did not sign up for your drama. And here's the thing, they sort of expect you to invite them into their life as well. Like, oh, man, I got I to gotta step outside and away from my online presence and show you who I really am? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's just easier to stay disconnected. Yeah, it is easier. But here at Sherwood Oaks, we still believe it's better to be connected, to find your people. Now, why? Because it's one thing to say it matters. It's another thing to say why it matters. And here's why it matters. As God's dearly beloved children, and that's what we are, as God's dearly beloved children, He knows that we only grow deeper in our connection with Him, in our faith and trust in Him, in our obedience to Him, in light of relationships. One of the pictures of this is one of our values right outside in the hallway where we tell life-changing faith stories. What does that mean? Well, one example that I love that I go back to almost instantly when everyone, in, 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 when anyone says, tell me a life-changing faith story, I will either tell them about the time I heard the voice of God. Now, you, some of you have heard my story of when I heard the voice of God. And if you are skeptical that I heard the voice of God, it's all right. I think I was pretty skeptical before I heard the voice of God too. So it's all right. The second story that I remember is this story right here. My friend Dan and his wife Tammy had three young boys. I think they were all like, like six, five, and four, like stacked up against each other and small. She was pregnant with their fourth when they got the opportunity to go plant a church in Chile. Chile is a small or a big, narrow country along the west side of South America. So this is not their, ch- their first church planting adventure. They've done it before in Costa Rica and other places. And Dan knows how to do this. He was successful, very successful in Costa Rica, and that's why they wanted him to come down to Chile and do the same thing down there. 
He knows that when you land in a place, you got to hit the ground running, really. You know, you've got to get out there. you got to meet people. you got to introduce yourself to sort of the movers and shakers in the community. you got to walk the neighborhoods. you got to walk the businesses. you got to make sure your name is out there. Start to build relationships and connect with people. And they really felt like they had an easy in. I mean, he's an American and she is, um, they're both American, but they speak Spanish beautifully. They said, this is going to be an easy win for us. And they land in Santiago, uh, actually La Serena, and almost immediately Tammy starts to have complications with her pregnancy, and she is put on bed rest, like absolute bed rest. And she's still got several months left in her pregnancy, and now Dan, who should be out hitting the streets, is at home taking care of three little boys. He goes, it was the point where I thought we've made a terrible mistake. We have not heard God's voice. He's called us to plant a church here, and now I am stuck at home feeling helpless and useless and lack of purpose and direction. Because I didn't know what was, why, why would God have called us here if this was what it was going to be like? So something interesting happened. The ladies around them in their little house. The ladies in the neighborhood around them heard what was going on, and they reached out to her and said, how can we help? So it began with just some meals, like we'll help prepare meals. It developed into we'll help watch the kids. We'll come over and, and, and help with the kids and just do some stuff and help, help Dan get acclimated to this new culture they're in. He says what Dan says what ended up happening is that instead of them going to the neighborhood and the community to plant a church, God actually planted a church by bringing the neighborhood into their home. A beautiful picture of God's faithfulness in these uncertain moments or helpless moments of our life. When I think about being overwhelmed by the responsibility that God's placed on me, and maybe this will be encouraging for you too. That story always reminds me that God is so much bigger than our circumstances. And sometimes God orchestrates circumstances to show off. That is a faith story that impacted my faith. I grew as a believer, as a follower of Jesus because of that faith story. I grew in my faith. How many times have you been part of a group where people get to share parts of their faith story? And you leave with your faith strengthened. That's not your story. But somehow, the transference happened, and your faith was strengthened by their faith story. I bet it's happened before, and that's how God intended it. The writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. He says, let's always be thinking about this. Let's, let's be thinking about how we can encourage one another towards love and good deeds, doing what God's called us to do by meeting together, by showing up, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but, but instead showing up to encourage one another. That scripture's there because God knows that we grow in our faith in the context of community. We don't just grow in our faith. We grow, we just grow as people, don't we? 
In community, I met people from South Africa that I would never have met otherwise. We had three Irish kids in my small group. We had two guys going through drug and alcohol treatment. We had one first-generation Chinese, second-generation Chinese immigrant. Tosin was a young lady studying. She was from Nigeria, and she was part of our group. I wish I had a picture of all these folks so you could see them. We had a young, uh, I'm say young, young at heart, little Sicilian lady who was part of our group. She was very bossy, but she made great food, and so she was never disinvited from our group. <laughs> we loved her. Man, these people invested and showed me things about myself that I didn't, I didn't know before. But think about you. Think about the community that you're part of. You are who you are because of the community of people around you. I mean, even from a young age, your mother who taught you how to tie your shoes or your brother who taught you how to change the oil in your car, or your dad who taught you how to make his famous mac and cheese, and now it's your famous mac and cheese. We began in community, and I bet if you took some time, you could think about other people in your community and how they have made you into the person you are today. Because who we are and what we know is a product of our connections with other people. It's especially true when it comes to being in a community with other believers who, are, who love you, who are invested in you, and who share your values. Now, it takes courage to invite people into our lives to teach us things that we don't know because they're probably going to tell us at some point in time that we're wrong. I had a conversation with Steve Wilkinson. Steve's my, part of my Thursday morning Bible study, and we were talking about something. He goes, well, I've never understood that verse that way. We're talking about a particular verse. He goes, I've never understood it that way. Here's the way I've understood it. And when he said it, I'm like, uh, yeah, you're exactly right. I've never understood that verse that way. He was so kind and gentle with this correction <laughs> that I didn't even understand it as a reproof, but it was. Now, here's the, here's the deal. When we invite people into our lives, there's a good chance that they're going to teach us things that we thought we knew already. We have to learn. I don't like to be told that I'm wrong. I'm the only one in here, I'm sure, that dislikes being told that I'm wrong. But every once in a while, we all need someone to tell us that we need to readjust our thinking. To grow up and mature and survive and succeed in faith and in life, we need each other. Ecclesiastes says this, two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their labor, it's just more efficient. <laughs> but if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Pity the person who has no people. Proverbs 27, 17, maybe some of you have memorized this one. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Man, I get dull. I need to be sharpened periodically. Do you need some encouragement? Do you need some advice, some wisdom, direction, a place to confess? Do you need sharpening? Well, God has designed a community where 
that can happen. Community grows us in our faith and grows us as people. And the third thing that happens when you engage and connect with people is is this. You, You find your people. That's where you find your people. There have been so many times when I have been in a group like this or elsewhere where I share something that's maybe a little awkward or embarrassing or, um, uh, well, let's just leave it at awkward and embarrassing. And I hear people and I see people go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That little nod is you saying, mm, me too, me too. One of the most powerful things that we can offer each other is that little head nod. Mm-hmm. Me too. Me too. You got questions about faith? Mm-hmm. Me too. You wrestle with sin? Mm-hmm. Me too. Do you find a regular prayer time to be somewhat challenging for your schedule? Mm-hmm. Me too. Those head nods, those me-toos, form the basis for how we mutually encourage one another in our faith. So the picture of this is Jesus. Jesus left glory and perfection and came into a broken world where he experienced grief and suffering. The Scriptures say he was familiar with with our grief and suffering. So Jesus, in a sense, says, "Mm -hmm, me too as well. I love what Paul writes to the Corinthians. The second letter, he says this. He begins the letter this way. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. I love that. And the God of all comfort. I love that. Who comforts us in our troubles so that we... (laughs) We can comfort those in trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. And you see that pattern emerging where God gave us Jesus so that he could experience the troubles of this world so that he could say, I understand, when we go to him with our own troubles. He goes, I understand. And that understanding, that me too, comforts us. And we can turn around and tell someone else, yeah, me too, I get it, I've been there. That comfort, that encouragement that we're offered is nothing less than hope with a capital H, hope. That hope never fails, the Scripture says. That hope is this, hey, I've been there. We can do this. I'm with you. Let's keep going. God never intended us to do life alone. Relationships with other Christians reveal God's presence among us. And that presence, the Holy Spirit, draws us together and pulls us towards authentic community. Some of you are out there going, okay, I'm tracking with you. Those are some pretty good arguments. I understand what you're saying. But Tim, here's what you need to know. Some of my worst 
experiences. Some of my most traumatic emotional and mental pain has come from church people. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Here's the deal. Where there are people, there will be conflict. Adam and Eve had a little conflict, if you remember the story. You might remember Cain and Abel's conflict. That got pretty heated. But conflict is evidence that we're actually in community. What do you mean? Well, here, here's what I mean by that. When God established this, this community called the church, he, he designed it in such a way <laughs> that conflict was part of the picture and strategy of how we are to engage with each other. Does that mean we go looking for conflict? No, not at all. Conflict does not have to be looked for. It, it'll, find its way, it'll find its way. But, but I want you to think about this. So the Scripture gives us several commands. Oftentimes they're called the one another's, and I won't go through the whole list, but, but here's a few. So the Scripture tells us to bear one another's burdens. And that command comes with the expectation and understanding that, that, that we are to live close enough to each other to know what each other's burdens are. How can we bear one another's burdens if we don't know what burdens us? So we live close so that we can bear one another's burdens. When the Scripture commands us to comfort one another, that command comes with the expectation that we are close enough to each other to know where the hurts and wounds are that can be comforted. When the Scriptures tell us to encourage one another, it means that we're expected to live close enough that we know where each other struggles, where we sort of stumble and fail, and so we know when to come alongside and how to encourage and when we're commanded to forgive one another, it means that God expects us to live close enough to each other that we hurt and offend each other. I don't think it has to happen, but my, my little scrapey bits and your little scrapey bits oftentimes scrape up against each other and we leave ourselves scraped and wounded and oozy and hurting that comes from living in community. The Bible shoots straight. When you live in community, people are going to hurt you, even church people. But don't quit on them and don't let them quit on you. Galatians 5.22, this is beautiful order, this beautiful rule for what community life should look like. And here it is, Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit, meaning the proof or the evidence that the Holy Spirit is actually among you, is this, love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And these are not just some pretty words that you put on a sign and hang in your family room. These are like real 
life commandments. These are words from a man who was beat up and tossed in prison and lied about and betrayed by church people. You see, Paul, who wrote those words, was no stranger to conflict. And Paul, at some point, could very easily have said, and I don't think any one of us would have blamed him, if he'd said, I'm out of here. I'm going to go live on my mountaintop cave and read my Bible and just have an easy, good life, me and God. That's all we need. I'm out of here. But Paul never said that. Instead, he says, hey, where there is conflict, we're going to lovingly work through it. Instead of being divisive and disruptive, we're going to be patient. <laughs> we're going to be kind and generous when we could be harsh and selfish. No. And instead of isolating when times get tough, we're actually going to come tighter together. We're going to be more faithful to God and each other. We're going to let those times, times stir us to a greater relational mm, compact. When we disagree, and we will, we'll be gentle with each other. That is the proof. That is the fruit of the Spirit among us. The evidence that God is really here, God is really present in our midst. And in that culture and in that environment, the people of God become our people. People who will go the distance with us, the extra mile, that will show up when no one else will show up. Our people do that. So how do we find our people? How do you do that? It's hard. It's hard. Your Facebook friends do not count as your people. We can't just wait for connection to find us. We have to take initiative. And this is where I think is the hardest bit for us. We kind of want it just to happen. And it doesn't just happen. Like Dalian who shows up with her hand in bloodied stump of a hand. She goes, I'm here. I'm here. I'm going to do it. We have to take some initiative. In the seat front, uh, seat back in front of you, there's a little connection card. I'm going to ask you guys to do that before you leave. Fill out a connection card. On the front, it's just your name and address, ways we can, we can update our files so we have good information on where you are and how we can track you down if we need you. But on the back of it is some opportunities to engage, things like, like worship ministry or hospitality ministry, greeters, women's and men's ministries, just ways to engage. You know, it's, it's, <coughs> it's when we show up that we find our people. So that's the first way. Fill that out and drop that in the, in the uh, basket on the, on the uh, uh, information table at the front. You can join a small group. We have about five small groups that are open for people to join. If you want to join a small group, we can get you connected to one. Join us on Tuesday nights. We're doing a communication class back here. We'd love to have you join us there. Or Wednesday nights, men and women's groups, small groups, places to join up and, and discover your people. And the third thing is this. You know, when you come to church, I know if you're like me, you got your phone, you open your phone up, you're looking, you just you kind of scroll through waiting for service to start. But don't do that. Instead, when you come to church, don't go immediately to your seat. 
when you come to church, don't slide in late or sneak out early. I notice when you do that, by the way, you're not, you're not, you're not fooling me. Instead, grab a cup of coffee and be curious about someone. Ask God to show you some face that you don't know or, or some person you've not talked to for a while and just go up and spend some time with them. Begin to build your community. Practice what we practiced here. Authentic, deeply connected relationships are key to growing in our faith and maintaining our walk with God. I can tell you right now that my friends Jacques and Dalian are probably some of the deepest relationships I have because of what we went through together in a season that was really rough. And that doesn't mean that there's not room for more people in my life. That just simply says that when we find our people, these people become, become family to us. They are with us forever. And I tell you, it changes the way we experience faith and who we are as people. And I want that for you, and Sherwood Oaks wants that for you as well. God initiated relationship with us. He did it. We didn't do it. He initiated the relationship with us, and he invites us into a relationship with him. And then he turns around and says, hey, guys, go invite more people into this. Keep building this community. We're going to share in a time of communion. But this verse in particular is one that, that I love because it speaks to those people that are outside of community, those people that are living isolated, lonely lives, just, just feeling like they're on their own. And here's what Ephesians 2.13 says, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, you who were once far from people and far from God have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Whether you were alone or isolated, <laughs> in Christ, that's in the past. Now you've been brought into a community by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. In this community now, we are family, brothers and sisters in Christ, God's sons and daughters. And so, as a family, we enter into this family dinner, a time where we share bread and a cup that reminds us of the community that we're part of. Let's pray. Father, this morning we, we give thanks for this moment where we can, we can look around and and give thanks for the people that you brought into our lives. And maybe they're people we only really engage with on Sunday morning. That's good. Maybe it's people that we engage with Sunday morning and on a Tuesday or Thursday night at our small group or in our class, and that's good. Maybe it's people who, oh my word, Sunday morning and, and life group, and, and then on Saturday morning when we get together for breakfast, and, and that time where I needed someone to pick the kids up from school, and they did that, and, and oh, they watched the dog for a week, and that was, these, these people become, become family to us. We are thankful for that, all part of the community that you've called us into. God, this morning, my prayer is for those who, who don't have that, who want that, God, I pray that you would give them courage to take initiative. As we take the bread, that, that bread that represents the fact that you initiated the relationship with us,
by giving us your son. And that cup of promise, that cup that says, hey, if you're mine, no one else is going gonna, gonna to take you away. I am committed to you. God, you call this the cup of covenant, that promise that we're in this forever. God, I pray that we would be thankful for those people. And God, I pray that it would encourage us, give us courage to build deeper relationships with those around us. We thank you for the forgiveness we have in Jesus. The fact that you said me too. And you invited us in to leave our sin and the destructive path we were on to come into a new place of wholeness and healing. A new place of family. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org slash messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.